Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I am speaking with someone who describes themselves as, darling, I'm a daydream dressed like a nightmare. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Dale Bree. Hello, nice to be here. It's excellent to be being here with you. Thank you. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Well, um, I, I thought about this one and I thought, okay, if I was at a Humans of Twitter party yes. and there was everybody else that you'd had these podcasts with, how would I introduce myself to those people? And I looked back on your, um, your list of amazing people that you've had and I think part of what I would say is I'm not sure why I'm here, but I'm so happy to be included. <laughs> I know, I know, right? It sounds like a massively self-deprecating thing to say, which is not me. Normally, I'm the person that's got, you know, huge amounts mm. of confidence. But in, in you know, the, the idea of a humans of Twitter party, I'd kind of look around and just go, wow, to be included with these people, I feel pretty special. So that's how I'd introduce myself. Hi, I'm Dale. I'm not quite sure why I'm here, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> we're very glad that you're here. Well, Dale. thank you, thank you, Steve. <laughs> when when you're at at uh, I'll say the pub, just as a yeah. generic, and not to suggest anything, um, and you're in in those situations, do you get the inevitable questions about, oh, that's a lovely name, or how do you spell it, or that? Because your Dale isn't spelt in a way that I would expect. No, no, I do. I do get a lot of things. Um, you know, if people have seen my name spelt but not heard it, then they're really not sure how to pronounce it. Mm. Um, you know, inevitably, if anyone in airlines, if they have to sort of say my name, they kind of stumble over it or just, you know, pretend to mumble and, and yeah. hope for the best. Yes. Um, so... Sounds like my last name all the time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, people are really unsure. Um, I've often been... Um, in a situation where I'll turn up for something and I go, oh, I thought you were going to be a, a boy, but you're actually a girl. And I'm like, oh, that's a nice surprise, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I do, yeah, I have people sort of ask, oh, how do you pronounce your name? And I just sort of say, well, you know, just remember the famous 90s um, cartoon Chipmunks, mm. the detective Chipmunks, Chip and Dale, um, mm. you'll never go wrong. Um, rescue Rangers, thank the you The Rescue very Rangers, much. yeah, yeah. So that's how I, you know, advise people how to pronounce my name. But, yeah, often it's actually quite nice because I do get a lot of people saying how beautiful my name is. Mm. And I think growing up um, being told that I had a boy's name when I was a child and, and really? really struggling with with that and kind of being teased a little bit for it to now as an adult have people tell me that they think it's a really beautiful spelling and that it's a lovely name and that it really suits me is, is quite lovely because I've, I've really, I, like I adore my name now and I really love love having it but I struggled with it for a little bit so it's nice do you know the origins of it um so I'm one of five children um mm. and I'm the second eldest my brother Damien congratulations thank you uh my brother Damien was first um and then so my mother chose his name and I think mm. my parents knew they were going to have a lot of kids so they kind of just went well you choose the first name I'll choose the second you choose the next one I'll choose you know and it kind of went like that so my father actually got the um the honor of choosing my name um Mm -hmm. and he 
to this day tells me that he found it in a Heinz baby book. And I call bullshit on that um, because you can't tell me that in the 1980s there was a Heinz baby book that had Dale spelt D-A-I-L-E. Like, pretty sure you're smoking a bit of the wacky tobacco there, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so I I don't know. He he quite liked the name um, and wanted a more feminine spelling of it. Didn't really like the Y. Um, yep. you know, D-A-Y-L-E and decided to do the I instead. Um, and so that was that was his reasoning behind it. Um, and for all of my siblings and myself, all of our names are actually spelt with no Ys, Js, Gs or anything like that because my parents wanted quite um, – perfect looking names when you when you wrote them out so nothing goes under the line so everything is is going above the line when you actually write it in a sentence so wow a little bit weird a little bit weird weird. it's just it's obviously very definite choice by your parents yeah yeah so that's that's us they're very above the line kind of people well no but in that way, they just decided that they were going to be quite strict on how they named their five children. Um, so all of our first and middle names are all, you know, names that don't have any Ys or Js or Gs or anything that would, you know, ruin the perfectness of them. I know it's it's super weird, but I love it. <laughs> oh, uh, you said your brother, his name is Damien. Damien, yeah. And you're Dale. Dale. And then I've got Joshua. Oh, I've ruined it straight off. Why? I was going to hope that it was like you guys were the Australian Kardashians. Oh, all Ds. All Ds. <laughs> no. Joshua. So my parents were like, because it's a capital J, it's okay because mm. that's still above the line when you write it, yes. right? So his name is Joshua. Then I've got Trent. And then my little sister is Brody because she was born 10 years after me. So wow. by that time I was, you know, Old enough to know that my name was something that was able to be teased about. So mm. I was being, you know, said that I had a boy's name and whatnot. So, and I was obviously a, a child of three brothers and mm. then I had a little sister. So if they had named her something like Alexandria or Tiffany or something like super girly, I think I would have just With three F's and all eyes. the shits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, knowing that she was a girl, um, I was super excited, obviously, to have a sister. Mm. Um, and then they called her Brody Again, another gender neutral name, um, doing the I-E instead of the Y. Mm. Um, and so, basically, my mum used to say and her name was Chris, Christine. Um, and my mum used to, like, rattle off her kid's name. And everyone's like, you've got five boys? She's like, no, wow. Dale and Brody are girls. <laughs> wow. What was that like for you as a as a ten or eleven year old having a new baby in the house? Um, I I obviously quite vividly remember mm. it. Um, and it was amazing. It was like having a real life baby doll. Like yeah. I got to change. Like I don't know why I thought it was exciting, but I actually got to change her nappy and look after her. Excellent. And, you know, she was just like, I adored her and I do to this day, but, you know, she was like, I felt like she was like a little gift that my parents had given me specially because, yeah. you know, I just absolutely loved having, because I used to have a little brother mm. who was, you know, a couple of years older than her and I used to dress him up as a girl and, sure. you know, make him play shopping and dolls. And He turned out fine. Totally fine. Getting married next year. So he's fine. He's totally, you know. Um, But, yeah, so to have this little baby that was, like, mine to play with, it was amazing. It was great. 
what what is your experience of family? Um, I have a really, I like to think I have a really solid family. Like mm. we're, as adults, we're, we're really close and we're really, we're really good friends. Yeah. Um, we, you know, I, I moved away from home when I was 17. So, um, you know, to have that really close upbringing and then to sort of go away from that, I was always quite an independent person. Um, you know, we sort of. Um, we all came together again um, to to be quite strong after my mother passed away a few years ago. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that. yeah, yeah, it was it was a really tough thing, but because we were so strong and because we had such a wonderful relationship with each other, mm. we really ra- rallied around each other. Like my little sister was only fifteen at the time, so oh, wow. it was a really tough thing and I think for all of us because she was always the baby then to sort of obviously we were all experiencing this this you know awful tragedy of of losing our mother but you know we all kind of rallied around the fact that she was only 15 and there was so Mm -hmm. much that she was missing out on by not having mum around or even you know I guess the experience of of you know actually losing her um and so I think that's really helped with our relationship and and the strength that we have as adults together as as friends wow Mm. that's um that's pretty full-on yeah it was it was a pretty full-on thing and you know my dad really didn't know how to cope with that either like him and mum had been together for 30 years and she was mm-hmm. 110% the love of his life and, and her his as well. Um, and he just was lost. He was just yeah. really lost. And the fact that, you know, she was gone and he had these five kids who were all very emotional children, very I, I call my brothers fragile flowers. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't get them to change my car tire, but, you know, if I want to have a deep and meaningful about life or love or, you know, relationships, I can absolutely turn to any one of my brothers and, and you know, they're able to provide me with that real emotional support, yep. um, which is amazing. And I've really needed that from them quite a lot throughout the years. Um, but I think my dad really struggled with, the, the fact that he was left with these five, you know, children who were really struggling with the death of their mother um, and needing him to be that emotional support as well. And he was struggling with the death of the love of his life. Um, mm. And, you know, one of the things that sticks with me and it's nothing against nothing against him as a father or, or where he was, I think it was more where he was at at that time. He sort of, you know said to us, uh, you know, quite soon after she died, he, he said, I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. Like, mm. your mother wanted kids. I did it because I loved her. And, like, I love you kids, but I just, I didn't think I'd be doing this alone. So I really yeah. don't know what to do in this situation. So he wanted to run away from being a father to five children that had just lost their mother because wow. he didn't know how to cope. And yep. um, we kind of made him, you know, not run away and, and come back and we're quite sort of, you know, we're doing this as a family and this is, you know, this is how it is and it's pretty shit, but, you know, we just have to get through this and it's all worked out, but it took a lot of years and it's it's still not great in a lot of relationships in my family, but 
you know, I still feel like we have a really strong bond and, and there's a lot of love and care sure. and respect for each other, which is great. Wow, dude. Mm. Sorry, I feel like that's so really quite heavy quite early on. <laughs> Just going straight into it. <laughs> which is it's okay. I, I, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's No problem. It's obviously something that's very precious to you. It is. It is. And it's also something that I don't mind talking about quite open and honestly because I think, you know, a lot of people do experience death and grief mm. and loss and don't really know how to talk to each other themselves, how to process these sorts of things. Yeah. And I think the more you talk about it and you're honest about your experiences and that it's pretty shit and it's not great and Mm. and it's not perfect and no matter how much you'd want things to be different you just have to try and deal with things the way that they are um i think the more that we're honest about you know the vulnerability and the flaws that come along with that Mm. the the better off everyone's going to be to be able to sort of go, oh, okay, it's okay not to be able to cope with this or it's okay for, yeah. you know, things to be a little bit shit or, or whatever. Yes. We, we can spot many, not opportunities, but many times when there are people around us that have to experience grief and, mm. and loss. Um, and in a, I know it wasn't necessarily planned with, with your mum in that context, but it wasn't unexpected mm. to, to some degree. Um, I guess the sad extension of that is that we acknowledge that. You know, mm-hmm. We know that was a, a horrible time for you. However, with the rise of you know, unfortunate things like suicide and, mm. and other accidents that, that play into that, there are more people now um, experiencing that same kind of stuff in an unexpected... Yeah, yeah. Un- I'm not... It, when I say unplanned, oh I'm no, sure I totally understand. Um, fashion, and it's it can really break you, can't yeah. it? Yeah, it can really be brutal. Um, when you, if I can ask this, and I'm happy for you to say no, um, when you were going through this initially with your family, um, did you find that people were too standoffish, or, or they were too? we need to kind of overcompensate and smother them or was there a fine balance and you had some people gatekeeping for you? How did, how did that happen? Um, I, I did really find that I lost a lot of friends in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 24 when I lost my mother um, and I, I think a lot of people at that age haven't experienced a really big death in their life. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, more people that I know have at that age, but mm. but it, you know when that happened to me, people really hadn't, and and a lot of people were, were quite afraid of death, um, and they didn't know what to say, and so I think some people um, took that then to say nothing. Mm. Um, and I think that was worse for me. Um, and that's really, I guess, a lesson that I've learned and that I've really been able to take then to, you know, any of my, my friends and loved ones' experiences is that I will never say nothing. I know I will never say the right thing because mm. you will never say the right thing to someone that's grieving. You'll never say the right mm. thing to someone that's experienced the death of a loved one or, you know, someone that's close to them. But to say nothing is, is worse than saying the wrong thing. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I did lose a lot of friends who were just so terrified of, of 
saying the wrong thing that they said nothing at all and it got to the point where they left it too long Mm -hmm. that it was almost too hard for them and for me I'd gotten to the point where it wasn't my responsibility anymore and I wasn't going to take that responsibility to make them feel better about it because I'd kind of I'd lost that ability to want to make people feel better about my grief yeah um so I think and that's the one thing that you know I've I've had people come to me because I've written about grief, um, you know, and my experiences with my mother's death um, yes. quite a lot. So I do actually have people come to me when a loved one has an experience where someone close to them has mm-hmm. died and they're like, what do I do? What do I say? And I said, doesn't matter what you say, you just have to be there. You just have to you let them know that you're there for them. Let them know that whatever they need, whenever they need it, you're there. Yeah. Don't don't overcompensate. Don't smother them, but just let them know that that you care about them, that you love them, that mm. you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do, but you're there. That's all they need. Yeah. I had friends who would constantly call me every day. They'd call me every day, and I wouldn't pick up. Yeah. But they still call me the next day. Yeah. Because they knew that it wasn't that it, me not picking up didn't mean that I didn't value their friendship and that I didn't want them in my life. I just physically and emotionally couldn't pick up the phone I couldn't talk to them yeah but even knowing that they'd called that meant something to me it meant a lot more than someone who was too scared to make contact so that's that that has always been my advice with anyone that's dealing with a friend that's grieving is is you know just to let them know that you're around and that you're there that you can do whatever they want. You can talk about it. You can not talk about it. You can take them out for a coffee. You can take them out and get stupid wasted drunk. You yeah. can, you know, you can mm. be the bad decision person with them or you can, you know, take them for a facial and a massage. Like whatever, yep. but just that you're there. Relationships are hard work. No. They are hard work, but they're worth it. Totally worth <laughs> it. I don't say it. Yeah, no. Wow. <laughs> Steve falls into a massive heap. No, I, I, I yeah, agree. Yeah, I it's... get what you're saying. But they are, and and they should be, like really valuable ones. Yeah. You know, should be, but they are hard. And I think, you know, especially relationships are hard work and friendships are hard work because I think it's those really hard times when you kind of know, it kind of filters the people out of your life that maybe need yeah. to be filtered out, you know, which is unfortunate because I don't think those people are bad people at the end of the day. I just think that, you know, yeah. They it, can be it, someone else's good friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's how I see it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Where is the line between public and private for you? Um, I've been kind of struggling with this quite a lot recently Mm -hmm. um with trying to figure out how much of myself I actually give out to people and how much I keep to myself Mm. um I used to have a blog where I blogged about you know my experience with death and grief and mental illness and dating and love and relationships and all sorts of things um and I put a lot of myself out there I still felt like I kept a lot to myself but I Mm. think um an outsider may have looked at the the content that I put out and sort of thought I know this person and I I know everything about her and I feel really connected to her 
not realizing that there was actually so many more layers and levels that I chose to keep to myself and my loved ones. Um, And so I found that I sort of got to a point where I'm like, people feel like they know me. They Mm. feel like they have this idea of really, you know, every ounce of my life and what I'm all about and they really don't know that there's so much more to it and so I kind of felt myself really pulling back quite a lot over the past 12 months really sort of going I'm not not really willing to share as much of myself as Mm. maybe what I used to but I'm still quite an open and honest person I still do talk about things and and share experiences that I think are important and and that you know really matter to me but there's a lot that I there's a lot there's a lot that people don't know about me that mm-hmm. they never will just you know following me on social media and i think that's important to me i do sort of try and keep i try and keep some things or quite a lot of things actually just just for me and those people and a lot of people that are in my fold and in my life um they know that and mm. they've seen that um and they know that they can trust me with you know with that information that I'm, I'm not the, t- the sort of person to feel the need to, you know, tell everyone absolutely everything. But on the same, you know, on the same thing, I, I do, I do feel like some of what I talk about that's quite personal and private that maybe other people wouldn't feel comfortable sharing is really important. So I don't mind putting it out there. Are you the, in your circle of friends are you the secret keeper um i do have a lot of people confide things in me um i think because i i'm quite a loyal person Mm -hmm. um so i do yeah i do have people who will tell me things that no one else knows i have quite a really wide circle of friends as well so I guess some of the stuff that people sort of share they kind of go oh you know don't say anything to anybody and then I'm like I don't really know many of your other friends so (laughs) I could like I could tell a million people that I know and it still wouldn't matter but obviously I'm not going to but you know so I'm I guess like I I do really value important conversations with Mm. people so I do tend to have like deep and meaningful secret giving and sharing mm. conversations quite a lot. Yes. And, and, you know, I guess I, I do that myself with, with people that I feel like I can give that information to that's not going to, you know, sort of blow up and go everywhere. Yeah. Mm. What are you passionate about? Um, I think I'm passionate about... I think I'm passionate about helping people. Mm. I think ultimately that's where my passions really lie. I think I try and do that on a daily basis or I try and make sure that what I'm doing is, mm. is ultimately helping people. Um, I've, I'm lucky enough to, you know, have a career where I feel like I am helping people, yeah. um, which is, you know, really important to me and, and something I guess that, I haven't really had for, for my entire career. So I'm, I feel like I'm really lucky to have that now. Um, a lot of what I guess I do, especially like on say social media with some of the writing that I've done with some of the blogging that I've done. Mm. Um, a lot of that, I feel like 
is helping people um, by talking about the experiences that I've had, by reducing stigma around certain things. Um, I do volunteer work. I volunteer at a children's hospital once mm. a week um, and play games with the sick kids. And I know it's like stupidly adorable. Like I, I, I love it. And people are like, you're such a good person. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I get so much out of it. Like yeah. I get to play games with kids. It is not that big a deal. I'm not, you know, I'm not an amazing person. I'm just a regular person yep. that, you know, commits to to being able to give a couple of hours a week to actually brighten my day and make me feel like I go away from that. And, you know, I've got these kids who, you know, we sing Let It Go from Frozen yep. and dance around and, you know, we play stupid board games and, and you know, just have – amazing times and and these kids are laughing and they're singing Mm. and they're just having so much fun regardless of their illness regardless of what they've gone through regardless of the painful operations and and the weeks or months that they've spent in hospital they can laugh and sing and be present in that moment and I go away from that every week and just go you know what just take a check on what you're doing in your life mm. and just remember how lucky that you are and how how be thankful for you know every day and yeah. you know I just I get so much out of it that to me it's it's not a big deal to do so yeah I think I'm really passionate about helping people in any way in any way that I can and that's something that I really try and do on a daily basis what was your motivation for getting into the volunteering at the children's hospital? I've always um, done a little bit of volunteer work throughout the years. I've I've done um, some volunteering at like a um, a breast cancer um, fundraising charity with like events for them, and then a, a neighbourhood centre, which was like a drop-in centre for um, local um, homeless people, and mm. it was sort of like. Um, I guess giving them advice and suggestions on what was available in the community and, and sort of helped out with that. And I sort of hadn't done it for a while because my work was quite um, sporadic. So I couldn't really commit to anything. And then when I got into a job where I, I pretty much knew that I would be able to, you know, commit yep. um, this particular time, I sort of looked at different types of volunteer work that I could do. Cause I, I knew I wanted to volunteer. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to volunteer yeah. in. Um, I've always hated hospitals. I don't really think a lot of people love hospitals. <laughs> yes. But I, you know, I had some really bad experiences in hospitals myself and I kind of sort of thought, you know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like there mm. can be some really positive things that happen in hospitals, you know. Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, don't let this, you know, kind of fear of hospitals, you know, ruin experiences for you um and I looked at um volunteering and and found that there was this um you know children's hospital that you could you know volunteer and it was after work for a couple of hours so it really fitted in with my schedule but also something that I was interested in and I love kids like I love spending time with kids and just being silly and being able to you know, play games and and act up and be loud and sing Mm. and dance and wear silly costumes and do all that sort of stuff. So um, it really kind of fit with 
what I was looking for. Um, and I've been doing it for about 18 months now. And mm. it's just, yeah, I do it every week without fail. And no matter how I'm feeling, I just, awesome. I'm like, I have to get myself there because yeah. once I'm there, it just, you know, I, it brightens everything. Do you, is part of the role just you and your civvies? You know, work they give you or? like a polo shirt that you okay. have to wear. But, you know, we have wigs and hats. You're not turning and... up as like Fairy Dale or anything? No, no, not Fairy Dale, no. Um, I think like you can dress up as like the full outfit of like the, you know, special mascot things that they have but I think they only do that for special events but so but they have like um football teams and Mm. all sorts of special people and like Star Wars people come in and like that are professional and we have um um the dogs like the the therapy pets that come in and yes yeah 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 so you know we take them so no I'm just normal Dale with my polo shirt and my jeans Mm. um and I just you know go around but you know the kids the kids love it because they Mm. love my tattoos and they love my glasses and they love when I had red hair they just and you know I used to have these little girls who just wanted to touch me the whole time they just wanted to touch my skin and touch my hair and like they were just like you're so beautiful and they just like you know you're just this colorful person (laughs) (laughs) so you know and then I'd be there like singing and dancing and they're just like oh my god so yeah it was it's pretty cool you're obviously comfortable as far as your um, uh, like interpersonal boundaries go in that context. You know that the kids kids are very tactile. Yes, and they will want to touch and and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but that's obviously something you've got no problem. With. Oh yeah, no. I'm I'm a very um, I'm a very touchy feely emotional person. Like I love. I love, I think touch is so important yeah. and, you know, that's that's the one thing that I really crave and really miss when I don't get it. Um, yep. And I mean, obviously with the kids, like there's, there's rules, regulations and boundaries yes. and everything that, you know, we have to follow. Um, and, but you can like, you know, if, if a kid wants to come up and give you a big hug because they've had so much fun with you, you kind of let that happen, you know, yeah. and their parents are always there and their parents yeah. are usually like, thank you so much. They can have a coffee break. They can actually eat some dinner for once. They mm. can, you know, call family. They can have a bit of a break. And often it's as much about entertaining the kid and getting their mind off the fact that they're sick and in hospital as it is about giving the parent a break. Yeah. It's the whole Wiggles principle, isn't it, when it comes to touch and where the hands are and all of that sort of exactly, stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So, mm. Yeah. Can I ask you about... Your ink, is that okay? Yeah, 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 that's fine. <laughs> so you're obviously okay with it. You've got some yourself. Yes. Can I ask why? What, Like what and why? Okay, so I have a few tattoos. Um, I got my first one when I was 21, so I think that was old enough to do it. But I had um, this like stupid romance with a rock star and yeah I know um what a cliche and then um I spent a weekend in Sydney with him and I'd always wanted to get a tattoo and he was like we should get tattoos together so we ended up going of course we should (laughs) of course we should yeah so we ended up going to Bondi and getting tattoos together and so that was my first you know Ink. How rock star. I know, very rock star. Very like um, groupie rock star. That's what I was. I wasn't the rock star, I was the groupie. Mm. Um, How rock star was the gentleman in question? Uh, 
Australian rock star. So like famous enough. Famous enough. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then since then I sort of got little bits and pieces. Like I got um, a piece after my mother died, mm. like especially for her. Um, and then around my wrist, I've got every single one of my family members' names. So mm-hmm. my dad, my mum, all of my siblings. Um, and it's kind of like in um, small letters just around my wrist. And I got that done and then I wanted that filled in. So None that that's is below the line. None of them are below the line. So it actually looks pretty good as a tattoo, let me yes. tell you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mum and Dad. They did well. Their weirdness did me well. Um, so, you know, I I kind of got that. And that was only about two years ago that I mm. ended up getting the, the floral design that's around my, um, um, my left forearm. And a lot of people are still kind of a bit like, oh, that's a really visible tattoo. And I'm like, do you know what? I'm 31. Um, I'm pretty secure in my career choice in, you know, whatever jobs I'm going to have in the future. I know that this is going to be fine. I love it. Um, I think it's really beautiful. So um, I've never had any problems. I don't think that I ever will have any problems. Mm. Um, And every little, like every tattoo really has either some sort of meaning, um, whether it be some sort of sentimental or emotional meaning, um, or it might be a place. So when I went to Mexico, um, I got a little skull tattoo on my ankle. Um, yeah. So I've got a few bits and pieces like that as well, where I've, I've been in places and I've, I've just got something of the moment. Yes. Mm. Are they all public tattoos or are there some that are just, just for me? Um, no, they're pretty much all, They've all been on Instagram at one point. <laughs> but my most recent I, I think is really cool. It's a little triangle and it says G-R-L-G-N-G. Oh, no, G-R-L. Oh, my God, I don't even know what my own tattoo says. That's what it was going to say. Do you say. need a mirror? No, it's G-R-L-P-W-R. Right? Yes. G-R-L-P-W-R. That makes more sense than I the know. other thing. No, we were deciding between the two. And we have this girl gang, which yeah. is why I thought it was G and G. Girl gang. Girl gang. We have this girl gang and we all got tattoos together and they're girl power tattoos. And they're meant to be like they're just a celebration of our friendship and yep. feminism and how we, you know, girl power, all of that type of stuff. Um, so we were deciding between girl gang or girl power. We all went with girl power. That's why I got confused. But that's like my most recent one. Excellent. Yeah. Do you... What does it mean to be a feminist in 2000 and nearly 16? By the time this comes out, 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um, honestly, what does it mean to be a feminist? I think you'd you'd really be hard-pressed to find someone who's not a feminist, whether they identify as it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, I think that what it means to be a feminist is things that a lot of people find really important and a lot of people find, um, you know, are are in line with their values, um, whether they – I think – and I hope maybe not in 2016, but I think that maybe it still will be, but that feminism can be a dirty word sometimes where Mm. people are a little bit, uh, women are a little bit afraid to be associated with it. And I think sometimes that comes from really radical feminism um, from, you know, some feminism. uh, 
I mean, I, I think it's really hard because I don't think there's, there's you know, a, a distinction or a, a definition that if you're a feminist, this is what you are. I think everyone really puts their own their own take on things, which I think is important because you've got, um, you know, you've got feminists of colour that mm. is very different from, you know, my feminism, which is white feminism. Um, and so there's a lot of things that I can't comment on or that I have no experience in and all I can do yeah. is sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important thing when it comes to feminism and and when people are having conversations is there's a lot of conversations that I'm really interested in that I don't have anything to add because I can't really be a part of that conversation, but it's still a valuable conversation. I think for me, you know, I really, I think it's important to hear about um, women of colour and their experiences um, because it's very, very different from mine. So, you know, I don't feel like I can speak for all feminists of the world because I have a very narrow view. So I guess it's the same as, you know, white men, people of colour, you know, um, go into different sort of, um, you know, genders and, mm. and, you know, identifying, you know, we're talking about feminism. Some quite radical feminism um, doesn't include trans women, which I think is is terribly wrong and, mm. and really disappointing that, you know, that that would happen, but it does. And so I think there's some real negativity about feminism, which is why some people don't want to be identified with it. But I don't think, I really hope that it becomes less of a negative thing and that, you know, some people just shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing. And there's times when I will be talking about feminism and where men have to shut up and listen and, and not try and be a part of the conversation. Yep. And unfortunately on Twitter, that doesn't happen mm. because men do like to have their say on things. Hashtag yes. not all men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's also some conversations that um, will happen between trans women, between women of colour, mm. um, that I can't be a part of, that I really just do shut up and listen. It's the same sort of thing, you know, and I really respect those conversations and I, th- I, yeah. I want them to happen and I want to learn and I want to be a part of them from the background. I don't need to be involved. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, it does. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not sure I can ask any more questions. Yes or men. <laughs> um what what makes you smile, Dale? I'm a pretty smiley person. You've probably picked that mm. up by now. I do I do smile a lot. Um, I think people people make me smile. Mm. Um, yeah, I just I'm around people quite a lot all the time, and people make me smile. Moments, songs, memories, just. Yeah, I do. I do find myself smiling a lot, which is great. I'm. I'm very happy that I'm in a place where I do have a lot of happiness, you know, in my life and mm-hmm. things that do make me smile. But um, generally, it's the people that I have in my life. You know, a text message can make me smile. A Twitter DM can make me smile. Yeah. You know, like seeing my stupid cat's face can make me smile. Um, yeah, good winged eyeliner sometimes can make me smile a really good red lipstick you know if I'm yeah. really feeling my makeup sometimes mm. that can be enough but you know like just anything anything yeah which is nice it's nice to be in that place because I know a lot of people don't have that yeah 
Hashtag not all makeup. (laughs) (laughs) What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? Dangerous thing. Um, I think, and this is, I don't know. I don't know if this is quite the answer that you wanted me to go down the path of, but I think as a woman, um, unfortunately, there are quite a lot of situations that I find myself in that are potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do things like run alone at night and a lot of people try and tell me not to do that. I have actually been attacked. Oh, why? Um, but that's all right. That's well, It's not all right. It's actually not fucking all right at all. Um, Very not all right. No. But that won't stop me from going and running at night um, because that's what I want to do. And that's the time that I have. I get home from work and it's dark and I want to go for a run. So yep. I do. I take my pocket knife and my rape whistle with me, but I go for a run. Um, wow. Welcome to 2016. Holy yeah. shit. So that's a dangerous thing that I do that shouldn't be such a dangerous yeah. thing, but unfortunately it is. Um, and it's the same sort of thing as going out and getting really intoxicated as a single person. Mm. Um, I catch a lot of taxis by myself. That can be quite dangerous. I am out clubbing or dancing or at a bar a little bit drunk or a lot drunk by myself or with a group of friends. But, you know, it still can be a really dangerous situation for a woman to be in. And I know that some men find that to be dangerous situations as well, but majority majority of things that happen that you know do happen to women. So I do think that yeah. it is definitely, and it's something that's ingrained within us. But ultimately, I'm not going to not going to not go out or not take taxis by myself home. Or of course, I'll, I'll be careful and I will, yeah. you know, not try and put myself into situations. God, you would but hope catching a taxi home by yourself. Is safe. You would hope so. Fuck. I know. So, Pardon me. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go Sorry. On. So, yeah, danger. You know, I, I wish I could say it was that time that I, you know, went bungee jumping or, I don't know, did something, you know, thrill-seeking. But unfortunately, yeah, I do have a lot of dangerous situations that just simply by being born how I am, it's just... Without a penis. Yeah, pretty much. That's flawed me, Dale. Seriously. Like, I... It, in hearing you say it, part of me is like, well, of course, in, in the, the, all the shit that goes on and everything, everything, right? I, I, I acknowledge that. But to hear, you're right, that isn't the way I, mm. that's not the expected response. Mm. Um, wow, we'll talk about that later. I'm, <laughs> Sorry. I'm, no, 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 please. That's, thank you for sharing that. Mm. It, it, but it's, it's completely important to hear that because I think a lot of particularly dudes would I mean I, I come at it from an innocent angle. Like I just I hear what you say and go, Yeah, safety girl. But I also acknowledge, yeah, you should be able to go for a run. Yeah. Um I hear what you're saying about catching a cab home. And we're not besmirching the taxi industry. No. But acknowledging that there are people either in a cab or outside of the cab. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That are looking for trouble or trying mm. to create a trouble a problem. That's it's all just not cool. No. Yeah, I I will have to process that. Thank you for reminding me that life as a middle-aged white man is <laughs> very bloody easy. 
by comparison. Holy shit. Beyond that, yes. what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? In the next 12 months? Um, I am the type of person that has a tiny, tiny little head with a big brain full of ideas, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, don't imagine me as like some shrunken head person. I have a normal human-sized head. I do, I do. Steve can vouch for that. Um, but Dale you know. has a normal head. <laughs> But, you know, like I just feel like I have so many ideas. Like Mm. I have so many things that I want to do, that I want to achieve. I've got ideas about a new blog that I want to do, a book that I want to write, you know, adventure that I want to go on, stuff that I want to do in my career, in my personal life. Like there's just – I just don't ever see – like I never stop ticking. And and that's a really challenging thing sometimes to sort of go, okay – how am I going to achieve all this? What's important? What can I do now? What can wait? Like, you know, compartmentalizing my life, um, prioritizing things, making sure that I'm still able to be a good employee, be mm. a great friend, be, you know, be a great sister and daughter and, and do all of those things and, yeah. and still be able to achieve all the things that I have in my in my mind. So... Um, there's a lot of things that I feel like I will do. I feel like the next year is just this past year has been pretty amazing for me, but mm. I feel like the next year is going to blow my own mind and just, you know, I, I feel like I've been really w- building up to that and working towards that and working very hard for some of the things that are going to happen, but we'll see if I don't actually blow my mind by just having too many things happening in it at once. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Dale, thank you. Thank you for some sobering reminders. Thank you for um, being you. It's been very wonderful to chat with you. I could chat with you for an and I will. When I press stop, we're going to continue <laughs> talking. Everything that you've shared tonight, today with us is very special. Uh, and I want you to know that it's appreciated not only by me, but by the people listening. Thank you. You're highly valued. Um, and, and the stuff that you've opened up to us today is, is important. Thank you. Cheers. I appreciated being here. So thanks for having me. Very wonderful. Very clearly, you are on the Twitter. Yes. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Yes. Um, I will admit to my Instagram account, which mm. is the same as my Twitter. So it's at Dale Bree, and there you'll find lots of very carefully done selfies. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> love a good selfie. None of them are accidental. <laughs> oh, God, no. I've, I've taken like about 50 to get the right angle <laughs> and the right the right smile and little, you know, little pout. Eyebrow lift. Oh, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is not accidental, my friend. Um, and, you know, the, the stupid cat that I was talking about earlier, you will find High quality there. cat. You give high quality cat. Very high quality cat. So you can definitely find me on Instagram. Instagram and Twitter, that, they're my main things. Excellent. Hurry out, people. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Dalbury is indeed human. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>